remain standing. Take your Bibles, turn to the book of Acts, chapter number 2. Acts, chapter number 2. Enjoyed the great singing this morning. Beautiful songs, great message in the songs. And this morning we're going to pick back up with our series on the God's prototype of the local church. We started this a couple of weeks ago. I deviated from it last week. Felt God wanted me to change directions last week. We preached last Sunday morning on give them what they want. If you missed that, you need to go, you need to go dig that one up and listen to it where uh, God three times said to Samuel, hearken unto their voice. Give them a king like all the other nations. If you missed that, I encourage you to go listen to it. Uh, but uh, this morning we're back in Acts 2 as we dive into the characteristics and trademarks and the of the, of the first church, the church of the book of Acts, chapter number two. I believe it was God's template. I believe it was the prototype. When God unveiled the local church in Acts chapter number two, I believe that he wanted every church to look like that one. And uh, can I say it? We've come a long way from Acts two churches. And so uh, we, we uh, looked at the uh, verse number 41 uh, week before last, when we started the series, and then they that gladly received his word were baptized. Our first message was uh, the prototype of the local church was it was a receptive church. They received the word of God. They didn't argue with God. They didn't debate. They received it. And because they received the word in verse 41, they received the promise in verse number 39. That's how it works, amen. The promise of God. Eternal life, salvation, forgiveness of sins, a home in heaven, all that good stuff hinges on you and I receiving the word, receiving the message. Faith uh, is the secret that unlocks the door. And because they received his word in verse 41, they received the promise. He said in verse 39, for the promise is unto you and to your children and to all that are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. And I'm thankful for the day I heard the word of God and received it. Amen. Receive the word of God. I'm thankful for that. I hope to, today you will receive with meekness the engrafted word. That's what separates the church from the world. They're called unbelievers. We're called believers. We receive what God said. Uh, in the Sunday school class this morning in the sanctuary, Brother Berner is going through Galatians, and I leaned over to my wife at least five or six times. I said, he's, he's preaching my message. He's stomping all over my message this morning. Uh, so uh, just in, in, in the spirit of transparency, he and I did not work on our messages together. Amen. God gave him his and God gave me mine, but they went together like this. And so we're going to dive this morning into verse number 42. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. We're going to look this morning at the prototype of the local church is it is a doctrinal church. Amen. It's a doctrinal church. Lord, we ask you to help us now. As we open the scriptures, we pray that you would bring to our uh, mind, Lord, the things that you'd have us to know and learn and be reminded of today. Thank you for the spirit of God that we have already felt in this place today. Lord, even during the Sunday school hour, our hearts were challenged and stirred. And then through the singing and through the opportunity to give this morning of our tithes and offerings, pray that you take that offering, use it, and bless it for the furtherance of the work of God. Now, have your will away in this message, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for standing. You can be seated. So for days and days, I have been meditating 
on verses number 41 down through the remainder of the chapter. I've preached from these verses, I don't know how many times during my ministry since God called me to preach back in 93, and I've always gone back to Acts chapter number two as the template as to how I believe God intended for the church to be. When I went to South Africa as a missionary and God allowed us to go and start a church from scratch, my desire was not to duplicate my home church in Harlem, Georgia. My desire was not to duplicate some of the great churches that God's let me be a member of down through the years, but rather God wanted me to do my best to try and duplicate what God did in Acts 2. We talk about being old-fashioned. We hear that all the time. I'm old-fashioned. I like old-fashioned. How old-fashioned do you want to be? You want to go back to the 70s? You want to go back to the 50s? You want to go back to the 1800s? Or, uh, or, or would you join me in being willing to go all the way back to Acts chapter number 2? Amen. That's how old-fashioned I want to be. I want to follow God's prototype, the template of the local church. And I know this is 2020. And I know that we're, we're a long way from uh, the times of Acts chapter number two, but we serve the same God. We have the same word of God. We have the same Holy Spirit living within us that filled this early church in the first part of Acts chapter number two. There has been no evolving of the Holy Spirit. Can I get a witness? The same Holy Spirit that filled this early church in Acts two is also living within each and every one of us that are saved here today. The Holy Spirit hasn't changed. God hasn't changed. The gospel hasn't changed. The need for lost people to know Christ hasn't changed. The need for the church to be the light and the witness and the power that God would send into the world to change lives hasn't changed. The only thing that's changed is us and how we look at it. So can we ask God to help us get back to the way it's supposed to be and the way he intended it to be and one of the things that we're gonna look at in the series we're gonna focus on this morning is the fact that it was a doctrinal church. It was a church that placed a great amount of emphasis on doctrine, which brings me to my first point. If you're taking notes, write this down. We see the significance of their doctrine. The Bible says they got saved in verse number 41. They gladly received his word and were baptized. In the same day, they were added unto them about three Thousand souls. When you say added to them, we're talking about the original number is in chapter 1, verse 15. There was a number of names together were about 120. So there was about 120 that made up that little church there, the local church in Jerusalem. And in Acts chapter number 2, at Pentecost, 3,000 people got saved and were added to the church. Could you imagine that kind of an influx? Could you imagine this morning, could you imagine if we had... 10 times more people trying to join us than was already here. Could you imagine that? It had to have been an unbelievable day in that church, an unbelievable day. But what I can't help but notice was they, the 120 didn't let the 300 new members turn their heart away from the significance of doctrine. Well, that's what would happen today. Can I get a witness? If most churches had 3,000 people join, all of a sudden those 3,000 people would have a majority vote on how things are done. But no, and this is a sign these people really got saved. This is a good sign that they really did receive the word of God gladly because the minute they got saved, these 3,000 people looks at this 120 and says, tell us what we need to know. Teach us 
what we're supposed to know, to, to learn, and, and they begin to ask questions, and the Bible says they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. That's the first thing we find out about them after they got saved was they placed an importance and significance on doctrine. Today, doctrine's taking a back seat to the, to the general philosophies in many churches. Doctrine's minimized because it is divisive. Well, how many times have we heard that? No, doctrine's divisive. Jesus said, I didn't come to bring peace. I came to bring a sword. Doctrine's ignored because it causes confusion and strife. The problem's not with the doctrine. The problem's with people's lack of receptiveness to it. We're told to set doctrines aside for the greater good and just love one another. God's prototype of the local church placed an enormous amount of emphasis on doctrine. In fact, we could say that the church was started, the church was founded, this church began because of the significance of doctrine. Nowhere in Peter's message in Acts 2 did he try to be relative. Nowhere in Peter's message did he try and connect with these people on a, on a social or cultural level, but rather he preached unto them the unadulterated word of God, the gospel, and that's why they got saved. Nowhere did he try to bridge cultural and religious divides. He simply preached a strong, doctrinally founded message and 3,000 people got saved. By the way, Peter quoted scripture from Old Testament books like Joel and Psalms simply because the Romans road hadn't been paved yet. As I began to think about continuing steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, I thought I'm going to do a quick deep dive into Peter's message, what little bit of it we have. Because it starts in verse number 14 and you get down to verse number 40, and it says, and with many other words did he testify and exhort. We don't know how long he preached. But we have about 25 verses from verse 14 down to about verse number 40. We have a few verses that we can look at to get a general idea of Peter's message that day and what it was he said and what it was that God used to speak to those people where 3,000 of them got saved. And as I begin to deep dive into this message, I found, much to my surprise, that Peter filled his message with doctrines. I don't have the time to expound from verse 15 all the way down to verse number 39, but I want to give you a list right quick. You can look at them when you get home. I'm going to post the outline on the church website, and you can go print it off, and you'll have in front of you exactly what I've got in front of me right now. But let me illustrate just a few of the doctrines. This isn't all of them, by the way. There are more. If you go, you could probably add another six or eight or ten to the list that I'm fixing to give you, and I'm going to give you 15 doctrines that Peter touched on in his message in Acts chapter number two. Doctrine of Scripture in verse number 16. This was that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. He uh, pre uh, preached on the doctrine of the Holy Spirit from verse 17 to verse number 18. He touched on the doctrine of end time prophecy in verse 19 and 20. 
He preached on the doctrine of the free will of man and prayer and salvation in verse number 21. He preached on the incarnation of Jesus Christ in verse number 22. He touched on the sovereignty of God in verse 23. He touched on the doctrine of the resurrection from verse 24 down through verse number 32. He preached on the deity of Christ in verse 34 down through verse number 36. He touched on the doctrine of crucifixion in verse number 36, which by the way, the doctrine of the salvation, the crucifixion has so many sub doctrines under that as you look at the, uh, uh, the necessity of the blood atonement and substitutionary death and all those things that, that are subdivided divided under the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. He took the, the doctrine of repentance in verse number 38. He talked about baptism, preached about baptism in verse 38. He preached on sin in verse number 38. He preached on the doctrine of the Holy Ghost again in verse number 38. He preached on the doctrine of salvation and world missions in verse number 39. Can I get a witness? <laughs> he preached on the doctrine of separation and sanctification in verse 40 when he said, save yourselves from this untoward generation. That's just a hand few. That's about 15 or 16 or 17 that I just came up with just skimming down through those 25 verses. The entire message that we have recorded in scripture was nothing but doctrine. So preacher, what are you saying? I'm saying in verse number 40 that with many other words did he testify and exhort. I'm confident that he preached many other doctrines. I'm confident he quoted other Old Testament passages of scripture and I'm confident that his message was packed with Bible references and doctrinal themes and no less than 25 verses do we have about 17 or 18 different doctrines that he preached about. Don't fall for the lie that lost people, unsaved people, and unchurched people cannot get saved from preaching doctrine. Don't buy that lie. Sure they can. 3,000 people got saved because of doctrinally heavy preaching. In fact, verse number 37 says, now when they heard this, they were pricked in their hearts. They didn't just get saved from it, they got under conviction from it. They got under conviction, God pricked their heart and drew them to salvation to the point where they were asking questions. What can we do? What is it we need to do? In verse number 37, men and brethren, what shall we do? What was it? The preaching of sound doctrine caused these lost people to understand that they needed to be saved. I'll tell you one reason why we're not seeing many people saved today, we're not seeing too many doctrinally sound preaching and messages being preached. All this feel good stuff ain't worth a flip. People living in sin all week long, they go to church. They don't need you to tell them how good they are. They know better than that. You ain't fooling yourself and you're not fooling them. They know they wouldn't be at church if they didn't know they had a need and they didn't need some help. It's like walking into a restaurant and they greet you at the door and say, we know you're so full. We know you don't want anything to eat. That's counterproductive to what we're even here for. Can you imagine me pulling up at the Jiffy Lube and they say, boy, you got a nice truck. I know you got some great oil in there. Filtered, everything looks great. I know you're in good shape. That's not what they're there for. Right. People walk into church and we're supposed to tell them how wonderful they are and how holy they are and how right with God they are. What are we here for if everybody's so right with God? We're here to fix what's wrong. We're here to get help. We're here to get fed. We're here to get reproved and rebuked and exhorted so we can go back out and be a more effective Christian. That's what we're here for. Peter got up and pinned his ears back and preached doctrine and 3,000 people got under conviction and got saved. Problem's not with doctrine. 
fact, they said in verse number 41, they gladly received his word. Verse 41, then they gladly received his word. Well, actually, it wasn't his word. It was the word of God. But he preached it. So they received his word. They listened to his message. Peter, uh, Paul referred to that in Thessalonians when he said, when we came unto you, received the message, you received the word, not, not, as is our, not, not as if it's ours, but as it is in truth, the word of God. The Bible says they continued in the apostles' doctrine, verse 42. Well, where do they get it from? Not only do we preach doctrine today, people have to choose whether to receive it or reject it. And I think that's the problem right there. Preachers stopped preaching doctrine because they was afraid people was going to reject it. You've got to give people the option. Amen. Amen. You can't preach it in such a way that they don't have a choice. That's right. I used to be in sales. I learned a thing or two in sales. Zane and I yesterday went out and passed out tracks. Zane had a handful of tracks. I had a handful of tracks. He walked to this man and said, would you like a track? The man said, no. Zane looked at me, and the guy walked off, and I said, you can't do it that way. You can't give them an option to say no. Don't give them a choice. Just hand it to them and say, here, I want you to have this. I said, then they'll take it. He didn't have nobody else, as far as I know, turn down a track the rest of the day. He walked up to him and said, here, I want you to read this. They'll take it out of his hand and read it. We got preachers today that have figured out how to preach it in such a way that doesn't give people a choice. Kind of takes the pressure off them a little bit. Come on now. Peter got up there and preached. 3,000 people received it. A bunch of them probably didn't. If we preach God's word, it's up to the hearer what to do with it. The early church, Acts 2 church, God's prototype of the local church was founded on doctrine. Not only do we see the significance of doctrine, but we see secondly the stewardship of doctrine. The Bible says in verse 41, then they that gladly received his word. Well, we know he quoted Joel, he quoted Psalms, he quoted scripture. We know now that it is a part of our scripture, our Bible, that it was from God. Here's the question. Where did, he, where did Peter get it? This is, this is a group of people of 120. They're now preaching to a, can I say it, a second generation. This isn't first generation Christians. Peter and disciples had already been saved for a number of years and following Christ. They're now taking what Jesus told them to do at the Great Commission and they're doing with it what he told them to do. They are now reaching the next tier down. Are you following me? The original 120 found in Acts chapter number one are now fulfilling the great commission that, was a, that God had given them when Jesus told them to tarry and to wait till they be endued with power. And then in chapter one, verse eight, go out and be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria. They are now just doing what God had told them to do. They are now taking what they had received from Christ and passing it on down the line. Just like they were when they were passing out the bread and feeding the 5,000. He took it, blessed it, gave it to them. They took it, put their hands on it, and handed it to somebody else. That's what they're doing now with the gospel. Are you still with me? It's called the dispensation of grace, like a soap dispenser. 
You put soap in it and you get soap out. It's a conduit. It's a channel. That's what we're supposed to be of the grace of God. That's what we're supposed to be of the gospel. We're supposed to be a channel, a dispenser, a conduit. He puts it in and we put it right back out. And that's what they're doing in Acts chapter number two. And the Bible says they gladly received his word. It wasn't Peter's word. It was God's word. Where did Peter get it from? Peter and the early church got their passion for doctrine from Jesus Christ. <laughs> Make no mistake about it. They weren't concerned at all about doctrine when they were out there fishing. And they met Jesus. And they sat at his feet and began listening to him teach, listen to him preach. And they developed a passion and a love for doctrine from Jesus. And now in Acts 2, they're passing on to all these new converts and they are continuing in the apostles' doctrine. It was Jesus that instilled in them the importance of doctrine. He drilled it in them from day one. Here's just a few references to the times that Jesus placed much significance on doctrine and we see others noticing that was different about Jesus was his doctrine. Matthew 7, 28, it came to pass when Jesus had ended his, these sayings, the people were astonished at his doctrine. Matthew 15, 9, but in vain, Jesus said, they do worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. There is a difference. Mark chapter 1, verse 22, they were astonished at his doctrine for he taught them as one that had authority and not as the scribes. What about that? Mark chapter 1, verse number 27, they were all amazed and so much that they questioned among themselves saying, what thing is this? What new doctrine is this? Mark 4, 2, and they taught him them many things by parables and he said unto them in his doctrine. Mark 11, chapter number 18, the scribes and chief priests heard it and sought how they might destroy him for they feared him because all the people was astonished at his doctrine. Luke 4, 32, they were astonished at his doctrine for his word was with power. Jesus answered them, John chapter seven, verse 16, said my doctrine is not mine but his that sent me. John 7, 17, if any man will do his will, he shall know of the doctrine whether it be of God or whether I speak of myself. John 18, 19, the high priest then asked Jesus of his disciples and of his doctrine. Make no mistake, Peter and the early church got their passion for doctrine from Jesus Christ who taught them how to discern between the commandments of men and doctrine that was from God. And there was something that had power. It had punch to it unlike anything that anybody had ever heard before. It's a good thing Peter stuck, stuck with the game plan in Acts 2, isn't it? It's a good thing that Peter didn't second guess Jesus Christ and try and reinvent the wheel. The disciples took what they learned from Jesus and passed it on. They took their solid foundation in doctrine and truth and made it a significant part of their outreach message. They didn't try to reinvent the wheel. They weren't given the baton. They were given the baton of doctrine and they passed it on. This early church continued in the apostles' doctrine which was actually... Jesus Christ's doctrine, which was actually his father's doctrine. People's right. going to talk about the doctrines over here at Calvary Baptist Church. What they don't know is it's not our doctrine. Right. We're just stewarding the doctrine that has been given to us from God. Amen, from the word of God. You see how the stewardship of truth is so important. Ronald Reagan said this, freedom's never more than one generation away from extinction. 
He went on to say, we didn't pass it to our children in the bloodstream. It must be fought for, protected, and handed on for them to do the same, or one day we will spend our sunset years telling our children and our children's children what it was like in the United States where men were free. Amen. Can I say this morning, sound doctrine is never more than one generation away from extinction. They stewarded the doctrine that they had received. 3,000 people joined the church and they said, you know what we're going to do? We're going to put an emphasis on doctrine. We're going to teach all these people what they need to know about the Bible and about the fundamental truths. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. Say, preacher, what are you trying to say? I'm saying it's very important what you believe. And it's important that you know why you believe it. Number three, write this down. We see the steadfastness of their doctrine. The Bible makes an interesting point here about this early church. They didn't just continue in the apostles' doctrine. They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. Meaning they didn't get saved and then ignore the doctrine. They didn't get saved and then revolt at the prospect of a new and a different doctrine. They didn't get saved so they wouldn't have to die and go to hell and then all of a sudden find out there's a whole bunch of stuff I'm supposed to do and things I'm supposed to know and things I'm supposed to learn and it's supposed to affect my life and change the way I live and the more I didn't buy into all this and then turn around and walk away from it. No, they got saved. They received gladly the word and then they continued steadfastly in that doctrine. I put a question mark over somebody's salvation experience when they just get saved so they don't have to go to hell, but then they want to walk away from everything God has to say about what it means to really be a Christian. Come on now. I put a question mark over somebody, over the validity of their new birth experience if it does not create with them a craving and a hunger and a desire to know what God's will for their life is. 3,000 people could have easily looked at the other 120 and said, man, y'all are, are just a little bitty tiny group compared to all of us. We're going to rewrite the doctrinal statement of this church. We got a good thing going here. No, they submitted. Stay with me now. They submitted to the doctrine of the church that they joined. The church they joined. The church they became a member of. By the way, membership is biblical. Joining a church is biblical. That's what happened in verse 41. That's what happened in verse number 47. The prototype, we'll get to that in a few months. The prototype of the local church, people got saved, they got baptized, and they joined the church. They got plugged in. Where do you want me to be? What do I need to do? Find my function so I can function with an unction in the body of Christ. Amen. That's biblical. 3,000 people got saved. That church clerk was working overtime that day, wasn't she? writing down all those names and addresses, making sure they got added to the email update list and all that good stuff. Getting all their cell phone numbers and email addresses. Huh? What? Well, they didn't have all that, did they? The word steadfastly in this verse means to be steadfastly attentive, to give unremitting care to a thing, to continue all the time in a place to persevere and not to faint, to show oneself courageous, to be in constant readiness, to wait on constantly. That's what the word steadfastly in verse 42 means. They 
continued steadfastly. This isn't a half-hearted approach. This isn't going in one ear and out the other. This isn't hitting or missing. This is, this is not just saying, if, if, if that's what you say, then okay. Uh, or I don't, that don't matter to me, I don't care. I mean, they didn't have that attitude. They continued steadfastly. They grabbed a hold of it and they implemented it and they wouldn't let go of the doctrines that they learned as new Christians in this church. And imagine everything they heard. Imagine every message they heard was something completely new for them. Something completely different. They'd never heard this before. In Acts chapter 2, verse number 40, they were exhorted to receive it. In Jude 1, they were exhorted to earnestly contend for it. <laughs> Let me let that soak in for just a minute. I'm talking about doctrine. I'm talking about being a steward. I'm talking about earnestly contending for the faith. I'm talking about continuing steadfastly. Jude said, here's what Jude said in verse three, beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you, by the way, this is, this is, this is written to the people of God. Listen to me. When I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that ye should earnestly contend for the faith that was once delivered unto the saints. For there are certain men crept in unawares who were before of old ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men turning the grace of our God into this lasciviousness and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. Jude said, you need to fight. You need to earnestly contend. You need to continue steadfastly in that doctrine, that faith that was once delivered unto the saints. It's a stewardship issue. Amen. It's a stewardship issue. We're preaching doctrines today that's been passed down to us since the book of Acts. And we don't have the right to change it. We don't have the right, as Brother Berner said in Sunday school three or four times, we don't have the right to take a pen knife and cut that out of the Bible and cut that out of our doctrinal statement because it's not popular. It's not inclusive enough. I'm gonna puke if I hear that word again. Inclusive. Not inclusive. Inclusive. This is by the same people that's been saying, not my president for four years. Inclusive. Tolerance. Preachers have stopped preaching the word of God because they want to hide behind this straw man of tolerance and social justice and all this other baloney. And I'm telling you right now, it was handed down to us by our forefathers. We don't have a right to customize. We don't have a right to change the word of God. We don't have the right. No less than 16 different nationalities were saved in Pentecost. The cultural, religious, and language differences were no doubt overwhelming. Peter didn't customize the gospel to fit their respective beliefs. He didn't look around at the cultural challenges and adapt his doctrine. He didn't take into consideration the wide variety of religious backgrounds and nationalities. The Bible tells us in Acts 2 that people there were Parthenians and Medes and Elamites and dwellers of Mesopotamia and Judea, Cappadocia and Pontus and Asia in Persia, in Pamphylia, in Egypt, parts of Libya, about Cyrene, strangers of Rome, Jews and proselytes, Cretes and Arabians. I mean, there was a wide variety of cultures and people there and Peter didn't look around, take a survey, figure out if he could customize and tweak the gospel. He just got filled with the Holy Ghost and opened up the scrolls and began to preach the gospel and 3,000 people got saved. Say, so, preacher, what are you saying? I'm saying we can't in 2020 customize the gospel. 
We can't tweak it to fit people's cultural and religious backgrounds. This church was founded on doctrine. It started on doctrine. 3,000 people got under conviction by doctrine. They got saved on doctrine. Without doctrine, you have nothing but a social club. Without doctrine, thank you, Brother Hall. Without doctrine, all you have is a group of people hanging out, sharing ideas and philosophies. Can I say it? Without doctrine, you do not have a New Testament local church. Peter, the same apostle that preached in Acts 2, later warned the early church in 2 Peter of the dangers of getting lazy and failing to be steadfast. Watch this, I'm closing. 2 Peter 3, verse 14, Peter said, Wherefore, beloved, seeing that ye look for such things, be diligent, that you may be found of him in peace without spot and blameless and account that the long-suffering of our God is salvation, even as our beloved brother Paul also, according to the wisdom given unto him, hath written unto you, as also in all his epistles, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to be understood, which they that are unlearned and unstable rest. W-R-E-S-T. They're, they're ignorant and so they wrestle the scriptures because they don't understand them. As they do also the other scriptures under their own destruction. Ye therefore, beloved, seeing ye know these things before, beware lest ye also, being led away with the error of the wicked, fall from your own steadfastness. Verse 18, but grow in grace. You know what happens when you're steadfast and you continue in the doctrine? You grow. When you get lazy and you stop being diligent and you stop being inquisitive and you stop asking questions and you stop learning and you stop receiving the word of God as it is in truth the word of God, your spiritual growth will begin to be stagnant and stale. And you'll find yourself a spiritual, spiritual dwarf. So preacher, I never heard that before. Well, that don't mean it's not true. What does God say? What's the Bible say? I imagine when Peter was preaching in Acts 2, there was quite a few doctrines that he began to teach those new converts that didn't set well those people from Arabia and Egypt and Asia. He didn't care. He didn't care about their cultures and their backgrounds nearly as much as he cared about preserving the purity of the doctrines of the Word of God. We live in a society today where people elevate their own culture their own background, their own experiences, their own whims and wishes above the authority of the Word of God. The prototype of the New Testament local church was it was a church that was a doctrinal church. They understood the significance of sound doctrine. They understood the importance of being good stewards, and they believed in continuing steadfastly in the doctrines. Here at Calvary Baptist Church, we want to place a lot of emphasis on Bible doctrines. I don't profess to be the greatest preacher or teacher in the world. I'm not. You can find a lot of preachers and more te teachers that are more eloquent and more educated than I am, but I guarantee you won't find anybody more passionate about the doctrines of the Word of God Amen. than I am. And I will continually point you to the doctrines of the Word of God, and it's your responsibility, your duty to continue steadfastly. No matter where you're from, no matter what you've been taught, no matter what your background is, let God be true and every man a liar. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed this morning. If you're here and you've never been saved, Jesus died for you. Jesus died on the cross so that you wouldn't have to spend eternity in a place called hell. 
And when he died on the cross, he paid for your sins and my sins and is extending to you this morning the gift of eternal life.